0: Several years ago, um, I was uh, given the opportunity to have prayer for uh, the Lincoln Luncheon, which is kind of a uh, political event for the state of Illinois, uh, kind of a who's who. And uh, because I was part of the program, they had asked me to get there about an hour early. And so I got there, uh, did some debriefing backstage, and then they escorted me to to my seat in the auditorium. And so it was going to be a while. So I started reading, and uh, kind of just into the the book, and uh, people started showing up. Some of the bureaucrats uh, started showing up, and they were finding their tables and where they were seated. And then, imagine this, they started complaining. And uh, they're complaining about where their table was located. They were complaining about where they were located on the table. The tables were in the round, and so if they had their back to the stage, they were upset. The temperature, water spots on the silverware. I heard someone complain about uh, having stain on their napkin, and they wanted a new napkin. And so, long and short, they started letting the conference center staff uh, know it, and uh, they weren't real kind. I mean, they they were like, "This is unacceptable. It needs to be taken care of now." And uh, so, I'm kind of hiding behind my book. Um, I'm embarrassed. Uh, Just the way they were treating the the staff. And um, about that time, the Illinois state senators and congressmen started showing up. And several of them were not happy. They weren't happy with their table. They weren't happy with their seats. They weren't happy with the view that they had. Guess what they did? They start letting the bureaucrats have it. You know, the, one, of the, one of the senators, he you know, snaps his fingers and he demands, he says, you take care of this and take care of it now. And so I put my book down and I thought, let the games begin, you know. <laughs> These bureaucrats who had been beating up on the conference staff, all of a sudden... They're running around, they're trying to address the the complaints uh, of the Illinois state senators and congressmen. About that time, the US senators and congressmen started showing up, and several of them were from other states, and so uh, these these kind of the big dogs coming in. And guess what they found? Things that they didn't like. I mean, I remember one of, one of the U.S. senators demanded that he get a different seat. He needed something with a high back on it, and one of them went on full tilt because they didn't have the kind of uh, water that he wanted, a certain kind of bottled water. And so they start making these requests, and the Illinois state senators and congressmen start jumping. And they're like, I'll take care of it personally, Senator. I'll take care of it right away, Congressman, however I can help, I'm here. and. They are running around. They're trying to take care of things. About that time, they came and got me I headed backstage. I'm talking with Governor, several U.S. senators and congressmen. We're waiting for the U.S. Speaker of the House to arrive. And uh, about that time, he came in with a full entourage. I mean, it created commotion in the center. People are scrambling. When, when he walked, walked up, he immediately runs off just in succession a lot of things that needed to be taken care of. And guess what? The U.S. senators and congressmen then turn and start taking care of stuff for him. They're like, whatever you need, it's taken care of. And things, things are kind of unfolding now. You, you can see this chain reaction. The congressman turns to the U.S., Congressman, or the Speaker of the House, turns to the, these U.S. Senators and Congressmen. These guys turn to the Illinois State Senators and Congressmen who immediately turn to the bureaucrats who head to the conference staff, and it's just this chain reaction. And as I watched this saga, and I've told you I'm a, I'm a people watcher, I'm an observer, I wondered what Lincoln would have thought of all this... Uh, kind of uh, pre-luncheon festivities. But I thought about that because it's a window into human nature. Our bent toward uh, kind of lording over those that we feel we're superior to or have a better position of that, that we can kind of beat up on them. It's our bent toward showing preferential treatment You know, deferring to those that are above us, uh, that we see as more important. It's a window. It's not a pretty window. You know, I remember as a kid uh, growing up, I'd go down and stay with my grandparents once in a while. Uh, They lived on a farm. And I'll tell you, a farm is a fascinating place when you're a city boy. And that was me. Sometimes Grandpa would take me with him to the auction. I remember the first time we went to a livestock auction, and uh, I was probably eight. I might have been nine years old. I accidentally bid. (laughs) I did, on a calf. I mean, I thought the guy was waving at me, and I'm like, you know, no joke. And and the points points at me, I remember this so clear. And he goes, sold to Mr. Green Jeans. I had on green tough skin jeans. I'm still in therapy over that, but anyway. (laughs) Grandpa was not happy. (laughs) We had to go back home, got the trailer. We, We brought this calf home with us. Now, I had named most of the animals on the farm. I told you I was a city kid. And I named the calf, Mr. Green Jeans. And uh, several years, Mr. Green Jeans was around, then Grandpa said he ran away. But anyway... <laughs> I remember going several times with Grandpa to the auction after that. One time, he, he bought a bunch of chickens, little chickens. And uh, they, uh, Grandpa would always teach. And he taught me all about chickens. And uh, I had all kinds of questions, and he talked about how social chickens are. And I don't know if you know this, but if you were to go to uh, 10 different farms and get 10 different chickens, one off each farm, and you were to bring them, put them together, and then scatter some feed around, that you would witness a phenomena. Because in a very short order they would develop a pecking order. You know, what happens, it just happens naturally. It's kind of instinctive to to a chicken. Because what happens is, all the chickens decide who's number one, and number two, and number three, all the way down to the unlucky number ten. And it's kind of this hierarchical system that exists, which means, basically, that chicken one can peck, intimidate, bother, whatever, chicken number two. And they can do that and know that they're not going to get any retribution back their way. Because what happens is, chicken number two then says, okay, can't pick on chicken one, but chicken number three, watch out. And so they can bother, chicken number three, and know that chicken number three won't fight back. Chicken number three turns to chicken number four, all the way down to chicken number nine, who turns on chicken number ten. And I'm going to guess it's just ugly being chicken number (laughs) ten. Because you don't have anybody to peck, to bother. And as I say that, some of you, some of you are going, hmm, that's me, that's me at work. That's me wherever I go. Friends, in the animal kingdom, you you find all kinds of variations of this hierarchical system. You know, animals have to figure out their place, the role that they play in this pecking order. As human beings, I believe we have no problem understanding this. We, we get it. We, we understand how the animal kingdom works. But friends, we have the same instinct, don't we? I mean, almost anyone here, if I were to take you and we were to go to a social gathering together, you know, a party, after a few hours, you would have a pretty good idea, wouldn't you? of the standing of everyone in that room. I mean, we figure it out. We figure it out because we've got to figure out where we fit in. You know, in the scheme of things, where do I fit? Where's so-and-so? Where's each person? And we learn this by asking the right questions. True? I mean, we we determine it by taking a look at, like, people's profession. White-collar blue collar, management, labor, owner, partner, manager, director, regional, national, and we listen, we listen for the, these positions, the, these titles, and other kinds of tells in life, and things come into play, you know, like, Social sophistication of someone, the, the address of their home, vacation destinations. Pecking order. If you think for one moment that a pecking order is, oh, that's interesting. It's not really harmful. Friends, this is where the plot's going to clot on us. The reality is that most of us, consciously or subconsciously, tend to treat people who we see as above us in the pecking order. I mean, once we figure it out, once we've dialed into that, we treat them with admiration, with respect. We tend to cater to them to some degree. The flip side of that is we also treat people that we see as below us, let's be honest, with less sensitivity, with less respect, even contempt sometimes. Now, let's be honest. Who here would have any trouble mustering up enough energy to be courteous and uh, preferential, let's say, to a big VIP or someone that we see as way up here, we wouldn't have any trouble, would we? Because it comes natural. It's, it's embedded in us. I said last week we were in Chicago over the holidays and uh, I was in Macy's. And there's all kinds of commotion going on in the men's section. And so where there's commotion, i got to see what's going on. <laughs> and everybody's waiting on this guy. I mean, clerks are running around, they're hustling, and the store manager's on the scene, and he's kind of overseeing things. And the guy, uh, uh, Stan Mikita, he I found out, I didn't know who he was, but Chicago, he's a big name. He's one of the greatest centers to ever play for the Blackhawks. Played during the the sixties and seventies. I uh, played hockey. If you don't know who the Blackhawks are, yeah, they got a real hockey team up there. So, ooh, there we go, there we go, we're alive. It was interesting because I'm watching, and. Uh, People are fawning over this guy. They're they're offering to get him things. They're chasing stuff down. They're offering to carry his bags to the car, carry him to the car if need be. I mean, they are just taking care of him. And about 10 feet away was an elderly guy. He was having trouble getting around. And he wanted a sweater, and it was up on one of these high racks where you need, like, the pole to, to get it down. And he's, he's trying to get somebody to help him. And... Honestly, it was like he didn't exist. You know, one of the clerks, he he asked for some help, and honestly, the guy just seemed annoyed that the man wanted someone to help him. You know, nobody offered to help him. Nobody offered to carry his bags. I mean, in this situation, he was number 10. Friends, that order changes. What's up with that? Human nature, it runs deep, and I'm talking seriously deep in all of our lives. You know, when the the president of the company shows up in your department or uh, in your office, strikes up a conversation, what happens? You dial in. You're fully engaged. You know, I'm glad to see you. Come on in. What can I do for you? You know, because we hope to spend as much time as we can with that person. Custodian comes in, wants to empty your trash, and we bark. You know, Can't you see I'm busy? Come back later. And there's just something that happens. I mean, we, we tend to say things, say things under our breath, ugly things. The human system and if we were honest that human system it's a lot like the chicken pecking order there's just one problem with this the chicken's behavior is animal instinct but as human beings that attribute really is just good old fashioned depravity i mean let's call it what it is it's sin You know, what I want to do is pull back the curtains and ask, why? Why are we like that? Why do do we tend to show preference and honor to those that we perceive as being above us in that pecking order? And why are we impatient? Why do we show just disdain sometimes for people we see that are below us in that order? I mean, why do we do it? you know at the root i think there there's some s words you know like self advancement self promotion self absorption you know self importance that that at some point just takes us down an ugly road you know i believe all of us are smart enough to to know who we see as above us, whether it be at work or in society, and that we understand that that person, that individual, has the ability to lift us up a level or two, I mean, if they desire to. That, That they could give you a nod. They could give you a raise, a promotion, an invite, to open that door of opportunity. And so what do we do? We put our best foot forward. Some people say we suck it up a bit, you know. But let's, let's be clear about this. That preferential treatment is all about what we can gain. The flip side of it, we realize people that we perceive as below us can't do much for us. We didn't have to take a class on this one, did we? I mean, we figure this out early in life. High school, maybe way before that. But at high school, don't, don't you figure out who can raise your popularity quotient and who can't? You know, in college, you, you figure out real quickly who can raise your vocational stock and who can't. In the marketplace, you're very clear who can open doors and who can't open doors. And how we treat people really boils down to what they can and can't do for me. And friends, in the middle, in the middle of this corrupt, self-serving pecking order, this quagmire that all of us live in from time to time, The Apostle Paul says, time out. He says, we have got to crawl out of this animalistic instinct. And we've got to rise to a higher level. And Paul says, I've got an app for that. And there's the app. Read with me. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Each of you should look not only to your own interests now I want you to note there that Paul never says that you should totally disregard yourself neglect yourself in fact the Bible would teach you just the opposite the Bible would say that we should take care of ourselves we, we should eat we, we should get our, our proper rest uh, physically and emotionally in our lives that the Bible teaches that you should have self-respect, that you should never allow people to manipulate you or violate you or abuse you, and that if you're in that kind of situation, to get out. And the Bible is clear that we should understand, you hear me talk about this a lot, that we are fearfully, wonderfully made, that God has a plan for your life, that your life matters, and we should have a strong sense of self, in fact, I would argue because the very best thing that you can give God is yourself. Paul's not addressing that, that wonderful, appropriate um, sense of, of who you are, that, that's, that self. What he's concerned about is an age-old problem that has existed since the beginning of time, and that is where we look out for our interests only. You know, self-preoccupation, self-absorption. You know, ask any psychologist or or psychiatrist, uh, if you were to ask them, what's one of the scariest things to treat in, in the human condition? Near the top of that list would be narcissism. That idea that the world revolves around me, that my needs are important, in fact, they're more important than your needs or anyone else's needs. In fact, you, you exist to serve me. That's dangerous stuff. And I, I believe our culture has made that into an art form. And it frightens me. You know, the Bible says someone who looks only to their interests is a dangerous person. Ultimately, they they become destructive in in life. That a self-absorbed person will will destroy a marriage every time. That a self-absorbed person cannot have intimacy because they're self-absorbed and they're about themselves. You know, a self-absorbed person will mess up their kids. They'll wreck relationships. They they wreak havoc in the workplace. They destroy small groups. And they make team impossible. You know, the Bible's clear. Beware. Beware of self-absorbed people because they're dangerous and destructive in life. And what Paul is saying is don't become that. Don't become self-absorbed. You know, avoid going down that road because it's destructive. That Type of person will destroy everything that they touch. And he says, if you don't want to go down that road, you got to get a handle on this app. You got to get a handle on it. This is the best app I know. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. I believe that verse that Paul captures what Jesus spent three years trying to teach his disciples. You know, Jesus wanted them to understand that life, life is not about self. It's not self-preoccupation. That that, that kind of living never leads to joy or satisfaction. And in fact, it's just the opposite. Jesus would teach that when we are oriented toward other people, that that leads to fullness in life. That value inversion makes all the difference in the world. And I have watched people most of my life, and some people figure it out about halfway through life. And the sad commentary, some never figure this one out. I want you to think for a moment. The the fact is, we could change the world. We could turn the world upside down if we were to grasp that verse and place it in the core of our being. You know, that if we began to live lives that are oriented toward other people... That, if we understood that, that that's what delights God's heart, that that's what leads to fullness in life, if we were to grasp that and start living that, it'd change everything. That if we understood that a self-absorbed lifestyle grieves God's heart, eventually leads to isolation, disillusionment, Despair ultimately. If we just took that verse, I believe almost overnight we would see changes. We'd see changes in the world around us, we'd see changes in the quality of marriages, we'd see changes in families. You know, we'd see changes in our work environments, in our schools. In fact, we'd see a change in the atmosphere of the church. Jesus, I mean, he went to great lengths to try and teach this, to convince his disciples that this me, me, me mentality needed to be exchanged for looking to others first. That the pecking order had to be dismantled in life. I think one of the great stories, uh, I'd encourage you to read it this week. It's Mark 10. It's near the end. Jesus and the disciples are traveling around pretty early in ministry at that point. Jesus is teaching and and healing people. And the word's kind of spreading, you know, about this extraordinary teacher, about this man that, that is healing people. And so the crowds are growing Excitement builds. Everywhere Jesus goes, there's excitement. There's electricity in the air. And before you know it, the 12 disciples that are traveling with him, they get kind of sucked into what's going on, all this craziness uh, around them. And I, I kind of picture the disciples, after Jesus had healed someone, things are, words just spreading. I kind of picture them like giving a uh, put, press interview it's a good day it's a good day now jesus healed him but it was a team effort you know i'm john this is my brother well i mean you didn't ask but um we play a very significant role in what happened here today I mean, it's all about team, don't misunderstand me. But as you can see, it has resulted in a win. I'm John, did I tell you that? These disciples, they're so jazzed about what had happened that these two guys get Jesus off to the side. Hey, Jesus, we've been thinking about your coming kingdom. And um, we kind of like the thrones that are on both sides of yours. They're not as big as your throne, but that's okay. We just, we want the two seats next to you. And and we're not concerned. I mean, I'll take the right or the left. Doesn't really matter. But we want to make sure that we get a ride shotgun in heaven. And scripture says that Jesus was crushed. I mean, I can only imagine him saying, you know, I have spent all this time trying to get you to get rid of this me first mentality, and and now you're pressing me, you're pushing me, you want at the top of the pecking order, I guess, for all eternity, and what's interesting, you read the story, the other 10, the other 10 hear about the deal that these two guys are trying to cut with Jesus. It almost comes to blows. I mean, they're mad. You know why? Because they didn't think of it. Jesus is so fed up. He's fed up with this me first mentality. He gathers the boys together. He says, Guys, you're so bent on getting to the top in the kingdom. Well, I want to show you how you get to the top. I want to show you how you get the highest honor. Jesus had an app. He says, serve others. You serve others. Guys, you have to get this right because the true hitters, in my father's eyes, are the ones who are other-oriented. That abandon this narcissistic nonsense that the rest of the world gets caught up in. And friends... Most of us make use of that narcissistic system. Most of us understand what it takes to get to the top of whatever system. I mean, we may not do it, but we understand how to do it. You know, we're sharp enough to understand what it takes in life. But when it comes to this app... This is counterintuitive. It goes against the grain. And what Jesus is teaching, what Paul is saying, is in God's economy, in God's kingdom, the way to the top is other-oriented in life. It's humbly serving God and other people. And if we were to grab a hold Of that truth, this inverted, transforming truth that goes against everything in us, if we were to put that into practice in our homes and in our neighborhoods and at work and at school or wherever, it would change things. And I think you've got to understand that when you decide you're going to descend, You know, take that leap into lower levels of servanthood. One of the things that happens is God lifts you up. God begins to fill your heart with joy. God begins to pour out his favor in your life. So how do you do it? How do you move from a meistic mentality? How do you move to an other-oriented mentality or mindset? How do you put that to work in your life? I mean, there's several points of interest, I think, here. And that is, first, before you make some sweeping change, because I I just know our, our, our nature is to say something like, okay, God, I'm all in. I am ready to lay down my life for other people. Before you go there, can I suggest you start with the basics? Like the basics of common courtesy in life. Here's some. This evening or this afternoon when you head home, hand the remote control to someone else in the family. Some people are going, no, not the remote, not the remote, please. (laughs) Open the door for someone. Someone you don't know. Maybe someone that you perceive as below you in the packing order and say, you know what, you go first. You know, maybe maybe start by saying please, thank you. You know, maybe uh, get up and clear the table off and wash the dishes. And I know as I'm saying this stuff, some of you are going, okay, whatever, he's kidding. No, I'm not. I'm really not. Because I believe that when you become other-oriented, when you engage in enough small other-oriented activities in your life, that what happens is over time, it becomes second nature to you. I also believe that when you do that, you begin to get a feel for what it's like to serve others. And when that gets embedded in your muscle memory, so to speak, you start experiencing joy and satisfaction, and you don't really think anything about it. But it's a bit-by-bit thing, little-by-little, common courtesies. You know, it begins to embed itself in your psyche I think you start thinking different. I think when you take that step, even though it's little, inside, you're able to go, you know what? I am not a stark, raving narcissist. I did not expect the world to serve me. I'm becoming a little bit more like Jesus Christ. I think that's what Jesus was trying to teach the disciples. I mean, when he washed their feet at the the Last Supper, I think he wanted them to understand that. I mean, just moments before, the disciples all fired up. They're all bragging to one another. Because he had said, I'm going to die. And they're like, no way. I'll lay down my life for you, Jesus. And Jesus already knew. He's like... Guys, you are so locked in to this me-first mentality. You're not going to lay down your lives yet. you got a lot to learn. I mean, you guys won't even shine each other's shoes. Let alone die for someone. And I want to say that to you. Before you commit to a mentality and you say, you know what? I am going to serve. I'm going to go all in on this. Do the little things. Start with the little things. The little things are big. I can't tell you how many times I have been touched by someone willing to serve. Just little common courtesies, you know. I've watched people, they, they crawl in the back seat and let someone else take the front. I, I have watched people carry bags for other people, open doors, you know, carry luggage, go out of their way. You know, stop and help, help someone that, that's broke down. I have seen people, when nobody's looking, Nobody's taking notes. I've watched people serve and defer in their lives. And those other oriented activities may have been small, but as they serve, as they do those little things, I think God raises them up. Some of you, you know, before you start the great descent into becoming a servant, just try and be courteous. I mean, start today. As you're leaving today, let somebody else out of the aisle first. You know, open the door for someone. Let a car go before you. And I know if if we all do it, we'll be here forever because nobody will ever leave. And Okay. Yeah. What about the gridlock? You know, it's like... It'd be okay. I really believe this. It's where servanthood starts. Common courtesies, other-oriented, in the basics. Once you get that under your belt, then I think you're ready to go to stage two in the app, and this is where you step up and you actually commit to what I'll call consistent forms of serving in your life. This is where I think it clicks, it kicks in, and we go, you know what? Jesus Christ left his throne in heaven. He left everything to meet my needs, to lay down his life for my sins. You know, Jesus, I mean, he could have looked to his interests only, but Jesus didn't. I mean, he could have stayed in heaven, and said, eh, their problem. But Jesus saw Your need and my need for redemption and for forgiveness and for grace and hope. And so he leaves heaven. He comes to this world. Ultimately, he would bleed and die and give up his life to meet your needs and mine. Sooner or later, you'll get that. Some of you are are still trying to figure that one out. But trust me, one day you will get it, you will understand it, and when you do, I believe what happens is there's an explosion of gratitude in your heart that will move you, not just to do the common courtesies in life, but just say, you know what, I got to do more than that to say thank you. You know, I have to join the ranks of people that serve Jesus Christ, that serve other people, that help others on a consistent and regular basis. Sign me up, sign me up, sign me up. You know, I'll do it. I'll lead a small group. I'll do it. I've got technical skills. I'm all over that. You know, I can teach, I can greet, I can serve someone coffee. I can help with that mission. I just need to do something. For the kingdom of God. And friends, it all comes back to because Jesus did that for me. I I could not help as I was working on this message. I couldn't help but think about our church. Because as a pastor, I get blown away. when When I look around at the various ministries and I realize how busy people are. And many people on top of their game in the marketplace, they're successful, talented, and they just commit themselves to the work of God. They commit themselves to to serving God and to serving other people. In fact, not just commit, joyfully commit themselves to the work of the church, putting their interests down and putting your interests up. Nothing in it for them. Just the joy of serving God. That value inversion is significant. In fact, if you were to stop someone that serves on a regular basis and go, "Why, why do you do it?" They would tell you they serve because of what Jesus Christ done in their life. I, I have watched people through the years that have moved into that position of serving. They've started joyfully giving of themselves. And I have watched them change and I've watched God transform them. You know, I want to say, those of you that have taken that step, you know, I don't say it often enough, but heaven rejoices in that. God smiles at that. Some of you, you need to join the ranks and make that move towards servanthood. If you don't, there is no staying still. You will start moving the other way. You will start moving toward a more self-centered, self-preoccupation in life. And, And what you'll find is you get sick. One, you get sick of yourself, for one. But then your world begins to shrink, shrivel up. Pretty soon, it's... Pretty small. That's a guarantee. It is a sure way to unhappiness in life. But you can go the other way. And say, you know what, I'm going to get other-centered. And I pray you'll, you'll take that step. There's one more. And this is kind of the master's app. Because our, our master, Jesus Christ, it's the way he lived life. Unconditional servanthood. And friends, this is not for the weak. This is as risky, as radical, as adventurous as I believe the Christian faith can get. And that's when a person not only practices common courtesies in life, not only takes a step to consistently serve in some area, but now, because they want that adventure of a lifetime, this person steps up and says, you know what, I give you, God, everything. I give you my life, my whole life. I present myself to you unconditionally. I am yours. I will serve and do whatever it is you ask me to do. You point me in a direction, I'll go. Wherever you send me, I'm there. Whatever you ask, I'll do it. Whoever you ask me to serve, I will serve. No more qualifiers, no more escape clauses, no more loopholes, no more anything. I'll just do what you want. And friends, that... Is the true greatness in God's eyes. That applied to life makes all the difference. It's interesting, the, the Apostle Paul, I mean, he wrote the entire book of Philippians. And if you look at the very beginning, he starts out and he says, I, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. I mean, Paul basically saying, you know what? You need to know two things about me. I don't have a big bio. In fact, it's quite simple. First, my name's Paul. And second, I am an unconditional servant of Jesus Christ. My whole life is about serving God and others. That sums me up. That's it. How many are willing to make that kind of shift in your life? To invert the scales, you know, begin the process. Say, my name's Damon. You know, my name's, you fill in the blank. Not with your spouse's name, with your name. I'm an unconditional servant of Jesus Christ. Friends, when you make that shift, here's the guarantee. God will lead your life. God will open doors. God will bless you. God will create opportunities, and as you serve, God will fill you, and God will raise you up and bless your life. Anyone interested? Just remotely? Adventure of a lifetime? There's an app for that. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but what? But also the interests of others. Our holy God, we praise you. And God, this one just goes against the grain. But God, I pray we would little by little, that we'd take steps, that we would move toward being a servant. we got so many things backwards in this world. God, your way is always the best. God, I pray that you would work in us, that um, those caution flags would come up those times when mistreat or see ourselves as more important than we are. God, I pray that um, you just break that out of us, that you would help us overcome this me, me, me mentality. God, I thank you for your Holy Spirit and I thank you for your grace that uh, Willing to forgive us. Most of all, give us the strength to stand. To make that, that change in our life, that shift. God, I pray your spirit would uh, guide us that um, you just help us to overcome that self-centered mentality. We give you the praise. We give you the glory. Pray that our lives scream that we are servants of yours. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.